Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. the 211th episode of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. Joining us a little bit later, just a double reverse pass across the Harpeth River from me, will be the coach, Corey Burton. But in the meantime, I am joined by a man who is kicking off his holidays with the traditional airing of grievances. (laughs) It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cook. Yeah, you know, coach has that uh, that fatherly schedule. Sometimes uh, it goes as planned, sometimes it doesn't. Sounds like the little one is uh, putting up a hassle, potentially. But he can join us whenever he gets here, or not at all. Who cares? Let's have some fun. Let's talk about college football. Well, unfortunately, we have to start on a somber note because we do. Uh, about an hour before recording the show here on uh, Tuesday night, uh, we had the passing of... A uh, coaching legend, Josh, someone that you grew up knowing very well, uh, Hayden Fry. Yeah, so uh, obviously very sad that he passed away, but also a, a celebration. This is a guy that was 90 years old, um, battled cancer. That's actually the reason he retired back in the late 90s. So it's kind of surprising we got 21 extra years of getting to enjoy Hayden Fry. Um, so many places to start with. I'm going to start, first of all, just with um, his sound bites. He had this Texas twang, this Texas swagger that endeared him to Iowa fans. He is basically unlike any Iowan you will ever meet in your entire life. Um, and he was known for some sound bites. One of the more famous ones was after demolishing Northwestern one year during the traditional coaching handshake. He said, well, I hope we didn't hurt your boys too bad. And it's like, that, that's just not said nowadays. And uh, so that's something a little bit different. The uh, lore of Iowa football, like the pink locker room, well, that was Hayden Fry. The fact that Kinnick Stadium looks state-of-the-art and as big as it is, that was Hayden Fry. And that's where I want to go with talking just about his on-field impact for my hometown team and the team that I will always root for, for the rest of my life. So um, just some background before he even got to Iowa, because I think that gets overshadowed a little bit back in the sixties and into the early seventies at SMU 49, 66 and one 34 in conference, 43 loss, but that's back in that stack Southwest had two seasons finishing ranked in the polls, went to three bowl games, won a title in 66 uh, one of SMU's best coaches left there because uh, they wanted to start a slush fund and he didn't want to be a part of that life. And well, you know what happened to the ponies with that slush fund. Uh, so he goes over to North Texas. This was a morbid, brown, morbid bound program. Uh, they were in the Missouri Valley when he got there, won a conference. Then they went independent 40, 23 and three 
at North Texas State, 1977, went 10-1, finished in the polls 16th. Uh, left there in 1978 after the 78 season to go to Iowa in 1979. So you're probably wondering, well, okay, that's a nice tenure. Why do Iowa fans love him? So I got to hop in the time machine. We're going to jump back to Iowa football in the 1950s. Iowa has a coach by the name of Forrest Avashevsky, uh, our best coach in terms of, like, hitting the ceiling. Uh, three conference titles, one national title in 1958, um, came really close to winning another national title in 56, took them to the Rose Bowl twice, won both of them. So Forrest is bar none. But Forrest was a bit of a personality, and that's putting it mildly. When he left coaching, he basically was taking more of an administrative role, but clashed with the athletic director and very famously kind of torpedoed the football program to not have any coach match his level of success. The coach that just came immediately after Forrest Avashevsky takes over this great team. Um, the 61 team started ranked like second or third in the entire country. Coach Jerry Burns went 16, 27 and two. So it's like, okay, maybe they just hired a bad coach. Well, then the next coach, this guy by the name of Ray Nagel, who did really good things at Utah, comes to Iowa 16-32-2, and, and he was there 66-70. to 70. So the 1960s, lost decade. Then in the 70s, the first coach, Frank Lobiter, did really well at Toledo, comes to Iowa in three seasons, goes 4-28-1, one of the worst coaches in Big Ten history. After him was another coach by the name of Bob Cummings. He went 18 and 37. So Iowa, after winning the national title in 1958, had pretty much like three winning seasons in about mm, 20 years of football. So this was a dead program. And Hayden Fry gets hired and turns things around really quickly. First two years, he wins just nine games, nine and 13. That third year, 1981, um, tied for first in the conference. Weird tiebreaker rules. Iowa gets to go to the Rose Bowl that year. So they go to their first Rose Bowl since the late 50s in 1981. He would win two more conference titles, go to the Rose Bowl two more times, unfortunately, short end on each of them. Um, at Iowa, 143, 89, and 6. 96, 61, and five in conference. And this is the big boy Big Ten where it's Ohio State with Cooper, top 10 almost every year. Lloyd Carr at Michigan, top 10 every year. Um, Josh, it, Josh, yeah. Josh. You can't spell Lloyd <laughs> without two L's. Yeah, well, he was pretty good. Also at Big Ten, also the Big Ten before Lloyd Carr, Michigan had a coach by, oh, what's his name? Bo Schembechler. Yeah. Um, Illinois in the 80s had some really good teams there. Um, Purdue had Joe Tiller really turn things around, bring the West Coast offense to the Big Ten. Uh, the Big Ten in the 80s and 90s was just a ridiculous league. And if you're wondering, well, why didn't 
a bunch of Big Ten teams win national titles that year, it's because they kept beating up on each other. Um, so he was absolutely incredible. He's in the Hall of Fame with good reason. And the last bit of Hayden Fry, one of the reasons why he would have made the Hall of Fame, I think, regardless, based on his performance at three schools, none of them major football powerhouses, especially those two Texas schools. But you talk about a coaching tree. I would put Hayden Fry's coaching tree against anybody's. Here is some coaches that went through Hayden Fry either as a player, an assistant, or both. I'm going to start with one of Iowa State's all-time best coaches in terms of on-field success and longevity, Dan McCarney. He also has a national title as an assistant at Florida. How about the guy that started South Florida's program, Jim Levitt? How about Iowa's current coach, Kirk Ferentz? Let's get up to a little bit bigger names. How about a guy that went to multiple Rose Bowls and is one of Wisconsin's better coaches, Brett Bielema? Let's go up to, oh, I don't know. How about a guy that's killing it at Kentucky right now by the name of Mark Stoops? If you're not impressed yet, fair enough. I've got some other names for you. How about future Hall of Famer Bill Snyder? Does that one sound good to you? How about future Hall of Famer Bob Stoops? How's that one sound for you? And how about current Hall of Famer and the greatest coach in Wisconsin football history, Barry Alvarez? His coaching tree, for my money, is second to none. I would not disagree with that. I am just surprised that he's not in Bill Snyder's tree because Bill Snyder is 158. <laughs> well, but yeah, um, rest in peace, Coach Fry. Iowa will forever love you. and. Like I said, to start this eulogy, I guess, um, it should be a celebration. When you have to retire because of serious cancer in the late 90s and you're given 21 extra years on this earth and die at the ripe old age of 90, having done what you love at an extremely high level at three different institutions, that is a celebration. So a little sad right now, but overall go get him coach. And if there is an afterlife, uh, Bo and Woody and now Hayden are like drawing up some ridiculous stuff in the sand and Hayden had a name for that. Do you know what he called trick plays? I do not know. Called them exotics. Exotics. He'd like, yeah. He'd be like, ah, we're going to run a few exotics. I like it. Week. It sounds um, like he, something uh, Ron Jaworski would say. Uh, he also wore sunglasses every game, and even at night games. And fans were a little confused. He he claimed that he had some like eye condition that made it easier, but I I think his eye condition was just wanting to look cool because he also wore white pants, <laughs> and he wore a starter jacket like no one else. He he occasionally did wear a starter jacket. Yep. Yeah. There, yeah, there, there was some, he, they had some strong looks there in the nineties. In the 80s. I think if it didn't draw a lot of laughter and was like not what coaches do. I, I think coach Fry would have worn a 10 gallon hat if he would, had been allowed to. That would be fun. I wish someone yeah. would do that. Yeah. I wish someone would do that. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I feel like that there has to be some coach down at like, like NAIA <laughs> or something like that. That's doing that um, right now. Yeah. And uh, for people that have been fortunate enough to see the college football hall of fame, you know what I'm talking about? Because they have a little trinket from every coach in the Hall of Fame. 
Coach Fry's trinket is a pair of sunglasses he wore. Mm, I like it. I took I a like picture it. of it when we were there for your bachelor party, my friend. That was uh, that says a lot about me. That the fact that uh, for my bachelor party, I went to the College Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> but it, yeah, let's let's move on. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about the, um, the legend. We will uh, we'll pour one out for you, Coach Fry. Um, and in the meantime, uh, I don't know, Coach Fry appreciated a good defensive battle, right? Well, I, mean, he, I mean, let's put it this way. This, uh, what we saw at the FCS level I, this past I think weekend. It, I think if coach could have it his way, his defense would give up less than 14 and his offense would score more than 50. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think every coach would like to have it that way, but. Uh, no, Kirk Ferris wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> That's too flashy. Come on. <laughs> well, he, Brian Ferris wouldn't even know how to imagine that. No. <laughs> anyway, uh, this weekend down at the FCS level, uh, the four games combined for 97 total points. Yeah, there was a little bit of defense, and they were all tight. Uh, Josh, Weber State won a game where they averaged 1.9 yards per play. Well, you know, it's not how you get them. It's how you win on the score. They scored 17 points. By intercepting the Grizz yeah. five times, helps when you block a block a punt. Yep, get yeah. some of that Beamer ball action. I mean, Josh, all across the board this weekend, it was just defense all the way. North Dakota State, yeah. Illinois State, ugly. Yeah, James Madison, Northern Iowa, ugly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Montana State. Austin P, ugly, and the end of the Cinderella story. Weber State, Montana, like ugly to the nth degree. It was <laughs> it, it was rough, Josh. I spent a lot of my Friday night watching FCS yeah. football, and I was bitterly, bitterly disappointed. Uh, well, but that being said, that's why you play. Us, that's why you play playoffs. Yeah, but that being said, it's left us with chalk. You know. It has, but it, it's setting up to be a very fascinating final four. So yeah. So uh, for uh, just, just just to quickly recap, yeah. Um, North Dakota State beat Illinois State nine to three uh, in a game that was decided by four field goals. Um, uh, Montana State beat Austin P twenty four to ten. That was the game that most resembled uh, what we know as football in twenty nineteen. <laughs> uh, James Madison beat Northern Iowa. 17 nothing um and even there though like i mean northern iowa 2.3 yards per play not good uh and finally weber state beat montana 17 to 10 but that that's the game i'm talking about weber state just i still don't quite understand how they actually won this game but you know it leaves us with the one two three and five seeds so yeah. in one way you could say that the uh, that they were seeded pretty much correctly outside of a, a, a strong Austin P team going in and winning in Sacramento State. You know we we've got chalk here going to the Final Four. So it sets up for a, a, a nice you know two really intriguing national semifinals. Just the way that we got here wasn't exactly the prettiest, uh, mo- most scenic route, shall we say. No, but uh, kind of the route we expected. So just kind of going in order in which they were played. 
Iowa, the Northern Iowa game, I felt good about that one. I, I said the defense would hold the line, and they did. Just not enough offense for you and I this year to be a true title contender. But they acquitted themselves quite well, but the right team won. Montana State, Austin P. we were all aboard that governor train for a reason. It's a, it was a fun story. Austin P. historically one of the worst programs in FCS. And, you know, I had the magic ending next week. Um, but, but you sort of got the sense that it's a reason it was a magical run for Austin P. And maybe this is the springboard to greater things and them becoming a regional power or even maybe a national title contender in the future. Um, but Montana State was efficient all year. There's a reason why they have these games on campus sites. It's to create a real home field advantage, and that's what the Bobcats enjoyed. Uh, Weber State, Montana, you know, it's sort of funny. I said Weber State lost that game earlier in the season because they were awful with the football and had a million turnovers and were really sloppy. Well, the script flipped. Montana was really sloppy with the ball and just shot themselves in the foot. You can't win a game with five turnovers and a blocked punt. It's just not going to happen. And then finally, Illinois State, North Dakota State, uh, conference game. They know each other really well. I mentioned that North Dakota State uh, maybe had some stuff, some stuff put on tape um, against Nichols last week where they kind of just sort of churned out a victory. It wasn't really a vintage North Dakota State team. I think Illinois State took advantage of some of those things. But um, we're getting to the, the best teams talent-wise, the best teams in terms of the season, and some of the best coached teams as well. So I, I'm glad that it played out as chalk. I would have loved to see the X factor of Austin P in there or the the – feel good about Iowa factor with you and I in there, but for just an observer wanting to see great football, getting chalk is a good thing sometimes. I agree. I agree. And I felt like of all the, the top four seeds, I mean, Sacramento state being the four seed, obviously was going to be the weakest of them, but had the most tenuous grasp on, you know, sort of that home field advantage in the first sector of the playoffs. And so, you know, it, it feels right. It feels like the correct four teams are here at the end of the day. So I'm very happy to see that. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see that. We will preview those games uh, in our show later this week with the coach. Um, for right now, though, we are going to get into our uh, uh, next round of bowl previews. And we will start with the New Mexico Bowl, which pits uh, eight and five Central Michigan against nine and three San Diego State. Uh, Josh, we are now finally getting into the uh, the first real weekend of uh, of bowl season. This Saturday uh, has six games for us. If, you know, it almost feels like we're back in the regular season again. Um, Obviously, you know, coming into this one, San Diego State is the favorite, uh, but Central Michigan has had a pretty special season under Jim McElwain in, in, in their first one. Do you think they can take down uh, the tried-and-true Aztecs? Well, it's easier said than done because the method to San Diego State's madness is run, 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 run back when they had Richard Penny 
but now they are passing, 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 passing. So maybe their offense has switched, but what hasn't switched is their defense. And they have had some amazing defenses during Rocky Long's tenure. They're giving up under 13 points per game this year. Um, You know, I saw Central against Miami in that title game, and it just seemed like Central Michigan knows that they aren't the most talented team in the world, so they take some risks. Um, And it's paid off for them this year, getting to the title game, winning eight games and making a bowl game. But San Diego State is the better team. So, yeah, Central can certainly make a run. Obviously, in bowl games, it's always does the team care. They invested Rocky Long for what it's worth as four and nine in bowl games. But just X's and O's wise, uh, San Diego State, bigger program, bigger conference, should be the more talented team. But then with that crazy good defense, um, you have to feel fairly good about things if you're an Aztec fan. Well, speaking of that crazy good defense, their defensive coordinator, Danny Gonzalez, uh, can go to the bowl game and doesn't have to leave the state because he's going to be <laughs> taking over for Bob Davey in New Mexico. We'll be talking about that a little bit later. So this is a, sort of a one-way trip for him. Uh, maybe he's going to send them off in style, uh, give the good folks of Albuquerque a preview of uh, what is to come for the Lobos. But um, this one is uh, going to be going off in the early afternoon. Uh, around the same time, we'll be getting the FBC Mortgage Cure Bowl, which pits the um, antichrist of this show, Liberty <laughs> University, uh, against uh, Georgia Southern, uh, our, uh, well, you know, a team from our, our coach's home state. It wasn't his adopted team this year. That was Georgia State. Um, but Georgia Southern will be taking on Liberty in the Cure Bowl, which uh, for those of you wondering, uh, apparently the cure can be found in Orlando, Florida at Orlando City Stadium. It can be. I really needed the cure when I was there earlier this year and got horribly sick at a friend's <laughs> wedding. Um, no, uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to tell people what to do for their confidence pools, but I would be fairly confident putting a lot of points on Georgia Southern. Uh, you um, and me both. Yeah, they, they had a really nice season. Yeah, they went just seven and five, five and three overall, but, um, they played LSU. They played Minnesota. Um, they, they played some teams. And uh, even they, in the games that they lost, they, they still put up, you know, a lot of points at Arkansas State, a lot of points at yeah. Troy. You know, they were the only team to beat Appalachian State this year. I mean, They were. Yeah. Uh, they also beat Georgia State, a team that's going to a bowl game. Uh, they beat the uh, – they were not beat, but they – gave Minnesota all they could handle. They mm-hmm. lost that game up in the Twin Cities 35-32. Uh they you know, they they just are a proven commodity. They're a really just fundamentally sound football team. Their rushing attack is deadly like always top 10 yet again. Um I know Navy gets all the triple option love and army with 10 wins. Last we year all, gets a and, lot of love. I mean, we but, all, and we talk about Tulane all the time. Yeah, but Georgia Southern is right up there with them in terms of their efficiency. You look over at Liberty, and you know you notice something about their schedule. They won seven games, but uh, <clears throat> well, they, they played Hampton, a team that's in the FCS. They played Maine, a, a team that's in the FCS. They played New Mexico, who's awful. 
They played Massachusetts, who's awful. And they had a home-and-home series with independent New Mexico State, who it's sad because they basically got kicked out of their conference, but I'm not going to put lipstick on a pig. New Mexico State's awful. This is a team that gave up 44 points to Rutgers. They lost 55-27 to Virginia. They were shut out by Syracuse. Syracuse! <laughs> to be fair, that was at the beginning of the season. I will say the second half of their season, their their offense did get going. Um, you know, even in these losses, they were still putting up, you know, decent point, you know, decent yardage. That being said, there is no way they can slow down Georgia Southern for even half a second in no. this one. I'm pretty confident in Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern's a five-point favorite here. Um, I might take the liberty. Uh, I, I might take uh, the Eagles to the bank there. Uh, next, though, is a very, very intriguing early bowl matchup. That does not feature Purdue. It doesn't <laughs> feature Purdue, but uh, fans from West Lafayette to uh, the western coast of Florida in Boca Raton. Uh, Boca Raton's be on the west, court, west coast? Of Florida, isn't it? Is it on the Gulf side? We're going to... Dude, it's Boca Raton. I'm in my 30s. I don't... Why would I know where Boca is? Um, I'm bringing it up on Google Maps because now I'm curious. Yeah, me too. Oh, it's just north of Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. You know who lived in Fort Lauderdale? My great-grandparents uh, had a winter home there. Yeah, why am I not surprised? <laughs> why am I not surprised in the least? Yeah, I don't think anything's on the Gulf side of Florida. Other than Tampa. Uh, Naples. Okay. Okay, anyhow, as, you yeah, were saying. as I was saying, um, that will definitely be edited out. It won't note, be. Note to it, self. No, it won't be. It's too good. That is not what we refer to as quality content. Um, it was quality the, to me. I was enjoying it immensely. I, well, Josh, the problem is that I think only you and I are the only people enjoying that. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've had about three or four cherubundis right now. So you've been drinking a lot of cherry juice? I don't even know what cherry boondies are. Cherry boondie is 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 a cherry is a cherry juice, I believe. I only knew that because I've watched the Cherry Bundy Book of Raton Bowl for the last two years because they get surprisingly good matchups. Because I sort of feature... thought it was a rum-based cocktail. I mean, okay. So uh, what is cherry bundy? It is tart t- cherry juice, Josh. Tart. Cherry juice, you know, it'll sweeten that anti- up. Um, uh, some rum, a bunch of spiced rum, <laughs> sweeten that right up for you. Oh, uh, is cherubundi and spiced rum is now the official drink of illegal motion? Mm-hmm. Uh, 20, thank you. 20 and five for the two teams playing. On I know, I was just about to say that. Yeah, we've got a great matchup. Uh, SMU Sunny Dykes, who uh, we'll be getting my vote for coach of the year in the American conference. Who uh, takes on Florida Atlantic in uh, the Lane Kiffin swan song. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a strange thought to believe. Uh, but Hey, that all that dude did was win the conference twice in three years. And, uh, but, uh, and Florida Atlantic gets to play this game in their home stadium. They do, and so, I, but yet SMU is still the three-point favorite. 
Yeah, and I think there's good reason for that. I'm sure people will probably think, well, SMU was ranked at one point, and then they didn't win their division. Like, obviously, they fell apart. Well, they lost by seven at a really good Navy team. They lost by six at a really good Memphis team. Those were their Mm -hmm. only two losses. Yeah, they came in the second half of the season, but, you know, they they beat Big 12 TCU, who, eh, they were – mediocre but still that's a rivalry game on the road they won that one they beat a pretty good temple team uh you know they beat a decent two-lane team that's going bowling so yeah i mean they're a fun team they're well coached um i I just i think what it's going to come down to because even though they're in different conferences and generally you would say well the americans way better than conference usa but what I think it really comes down to is how invested is this FAU team? Do they care knowing that their coach is leaving? Do they care that their special bowl is all the way to their own stadium that they already played a bunch of games in? Because if they do care, they are going to score a crap ton of points on a not so good SMU defense. Chris Robinson, over 3,000 passing yards, 26 touchdowns. Harrison Bryant, 1,000 receiving yards as a tight end. Yeah, Harrison um, Bryant is yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he is uh, what the NFL likes to see in tight ends nowadays. Mm-hmm. So yeah, He is athletic, yeah. and he yeah. is basically a – he's basically just an overgrown wide receiver. Exactly. Yeah. So if FAU is invested – they're going to score a crap ton of points. Will it be enough to win the game, cover that spread, have a mini upset? I don't know, but that's why it's so intriguing, and that is why you can bet your butt I'm going to be glued on my seat for this game. This is one of the most intriguing bowl games of the entire bowl season, not just here in the early going. Yeah, Josh, you talked about confidence pool. This is a game I would ha- I would put way down at the bottom. I <laughs> do not have a very strong lean here. Can you put I negative could, points could, on it? I, I mean, I, I, I wish. I wish because I know whatever side I go on, the other one is going to win. Yeah. Um, another one that should be a pretty close matchup, that is the Camellia Bowl uh, between Florida International and Arkansas State. Uh, not exactly the, you know – uh, the hottest names out there heading to Montgomery in the Crampton Bowl, uh, <laughs> the name of the stadium, which is I didn't even know even knew existed until uh, doing my pre-show research. Um, <laughs> FIU, you know, six and six uh, had the uh, had the you know sort of the program defining win this season. Yeah, they already won their bowl game. <laughs> yeah, they. So how invested are they to play? Arkansas State, who, let's face it, for uh, uh, for the Red Wolves, they kind kind of had a down year. Yeah, um, I'll start with FIU because they're a little bit easier to diagnose. Um, they were really good a season ago. I believe they won like eight, nine, ten games a season ago with Butch Davis, and graduated a lot of players. Had the slide. They weren't supposed to do well. They weren't picked to do much in the conference. They didn't do much in the conference, but they upset Miami. So that was their bowl game. 
their investment level is going to be mm, about zero. Arkansas State is the intriguing one because their coach, like Anderson, I mean, let's be honest, coaching under the hardest circumstances um, or among the hardest circumstances possible, uh, lost his wife in the offseason. And I think overall, finding a way to kind of rally in the second half of the season when four of their final five games have a four-game win streak there to get to a bowl game, I think they're playing hard for a coach going through a lot of grief. They beat that good Georgia Southern team. Uh, they, they beat kind of a, a mediocre Troy team, but um, Troy's usually pretty good. Uh, had a tough road game out at UNLV in terms of like road trip and hot environment early on in the year. And they smoked the running rebels. So there's some nice takeaways about this Arkansas state team. I think they will be invested and that's going to be the difference because a lot of times these bowl games come down to who cares and who doesn't. And FIU won their bowl game already. They beat Miami. They're, they don't care. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But Butch Jones has, has, has had his redemption already this season you know, it, it, good for them for making it to a bowl, but yeah. this is definitely, uh, I, I'd be pretty confident in Arkansas State here. Yeah, I mean, the counter-argument, really the only counter-argument you could make is FIU is playing with house money. And maybe they'll be looser, but like, um, who cares? But I mean, like, I, I feel like everyone is going to be the same amount of loose heading into the Camellia Bowl in the Crampton Bowl in Montgomery, <laughs> Alabama. Ooh. I hear Montgomery's quite nice this time of year. Uh, hey, a place I mean, that is nice, uh, well, pretty much the same, the entirety of the year, America's Playground, Las Vegas, Nevada, Ooh. which is home to the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl out there in Sam Boyd Stadium. Boise State, winners of the Mountain West Conference, are taking on 7-5 and five Washington in the... Chris Peterson farewell game, Josh. Yeah. This, I'm fascinated by this game for a variety of reasons. First of all, I think it's pretty fair to say Washington underachieved this season. Yeah, probably the biggest disappointment in the nation. I don't know if it's the biggest disappointment in the nation, but we we, we can talk about what were the biggest disappointments for the season. Um, Easily the biggest of the Pac-12. I mean, yeah. even if even if you picked Oregon to win the North, would you have turned around and said that Washington would go under 500 in the conference? I don't know if I don't know if I don't know I didn't think I don't know if I thought Stanford was going to be that bad. Hmm. Yeah. But people didn't have Stanford in what was Washington top ten to start the year. Top 15 for sure. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Uh, Washington. So in, in the game in Las Vegas, Chris Peterson's, Chris Peterson's farewell game, Washington is a three and a half point favorite over a Boise State team that doesn't seem to matter who's behind center. They're going to get it done. 
And well, it Washington helps when you is, have a guy like John Hightower snagging a lot of balls. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah. He's okay. He's uh, getting down here 20 yards per catch, which is uh, very helpful. That's but, two first downs. <laughs> I, I, you know, in so you know what happens. What happens here with the the Chris Peterson farewell game, or it is the you know introduction of Jimmy Lake in you know in in some ways as well to the uh, you know to the national scene. You know, Chris Peterson has said that he's sort of handing the reins over during bowl prep to Jimmy Lake. So. Uh, you know, I, I I think the X factor here is, you know, how, are these guys really going to like, you know, pl- uh, you know, show out for Coach Peterson and come to play and you know win it no matter what, or are they all, you know, are they still down on themselves for not sort of living up to the preseason expectations and underestimate a team? I, you know, obviously it's going to be hard to underestimate a team to underestimate Boise state when Peterson literally used to coach there. It's very fitting that he's going out against the Bronx. Yeah. I mean, I think Washington felt down the dumps in themselves in their penultimate game. I mean, they lost a pretty (laughs) substandard Colorado team, 20 to 14. They barely beat Oregon state. Then won that game 19 to seven. It was kind of a grind. Like, yeah, this Washington team has, like very little confidence. They, it's hard to figure out what specifically they excel at. They're like a tad above average at a lot of things, and being a tad above average at a lot of things gets you a tad above average record of seven and five. Uh, Boise State, it's pretty easy to identify. They're scoring over 35 points per game, they're really balanced on offense. They have a pretty good defense. They were one weird game at BYU away from being 13-0, and which I don't think people realize. They blew out their opponent in the conference title game. They beat a really good 10-win Air Force team. They swept Hawaii beat them in the title game and beat them earlier in the year. They beat a Utah state team. That's going bowling. They beat a Florida state team in the season opener when FSU should have cared on the road in Tallahassee. And this program loves to win bowl games and especially bowl games against power five teams. They love winning nationally televised games. Well, this is 6.30 p.m. on ABC. So according to that metric, it is the best bowl game of that day. They are going against their old coach. And don't you think Harrison probably wants to beat his old boss? So I am pretty confident that Boise State covers the spread because I think it's going to be super close if Washington wins, but I think a more likely scenario is the better team just pulls away and wins by 10 to 14 points, and that's Boise State. It's weird to think that Boise State is the better team, but at this point, 
you know, we have, you know, we, we have enough evidence and we also have enough evidence that Jacob Eason, you know, despite some of the gaudy numbers he puts up just doesn't, you know, win games. And I'm not really <laughs> sure why that happens, but it's true. It's because Washington is slightly above average at a whole lot of things. Well, so um, like he is a slightly above average quarterback. Going from there, uh, from, I guess, America's playground uh, to my favorite city to play in, in America, New Orleans, Louisiana. The R&L Carriers New Orleans Bowl will hit uh, another 12-1 and conference champ, Appalachian State, versus uh, uh, this time, uh, in some ways, a more appropriate opponent, UAB, but in other ways, not so much because Appalachian State is one of the biggest favorites in all the bowl games this season. They are 16 and a half point favorites uh, in uh, New Orleans. Obviously, App State has had a wonder, another just wonderful, wonderful season, uh, either because of or if you ask us, in spite of Eli Drinkwitz. And now he is gone. Yeah. And they, uh, you know, App State promotes from within and keeps on moving. Yeah, and UAB better have some extremely good defensive practices because UAB can score with the or App can score with the best of them. Almost 40 points per game. Zach Thomas a really efficient 2500 passing yards, 26 touchdown passes. Darrington Evans 1300 rushing yards and 17 touchdowns. App slices and dices you in many different ways this is a complete ball club they have a really good defense as well and UAB is well like a pretty gritty defensive team I guess but their offense can't keep up with App State and that's why App State's such a big spread uh, UAB won the conference a year ago it was an amazing 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 story they graduated some players off that team to make it back to the conference title game already overachieved to win nine games already overachieved. But app state is on what feels like a mission. They were one crappy game away from being 13 and zero. they're nationally ranked. They want to finish nationally ranked. Uh, I think that there's probably a little bit of motivation from these coaches and players going, uh, you left us for what program? After one year, who the hell are you? I think App State's going to play super angry, and uh, unfortunately, UAB, you are going to be on the receiving end of a fired-up ball club that is more talented than you. That's not a good recipe. Yeah, no, it, it, App State should roll in this one, despite you know the fact that even if UAB didn't win their conference for a second straight year, they had another pretty darn good season oh yeah they Um, overachieved which hats off to them yeah austin Watkins, another uh uh, another deep ball throw we were talking about in in the last last game john hightower uh Watkins, even more yards per catch than than hightower another big play receiver right there um two more games for us to get to to sort of uh, finish up the first weekend of bowls first of these is the bad boy mowers gasparilla bowl uh, I didn't. I didn't roll my L's properly. Gasparilla Bowl um, from uh, the big pirate ship out there in Tampa, Raymond James Stadium. 
uh, UCF, Marshall in this one. Uh, UCF, you know, a quote-unquote disappointing season at 9-3, and three, uh, despite that still a fantastic offense uh, led by Dylan Gabriel. And they're a big favorite here against uh, the thundering herd of Marshall. And that is why Marshall has them exactly where they want them. Ooh. Marshall just seems to excel when you write them off. You know, they you write them off against Boise State. Well, they traveled out to Albertson Field and only lost by a touchdown. Then they get blown out by Cincinnati, lose at Middle Tennessee State, and, well, write them off. Season's done. They won't compete. They can't win the conference. Mm, they went five and one down the stretch and beat Florida Atlantic during that run. Also beat Florida International during that run. Also beat Louisiana Tech during that run. Um, bad game against Charlotte, but hey, you know what? It was a road game and Charlotte went bowling. So in the grand scheme of things, not a bad loss. And here's what's really scary. Maybe it's just luck. Maybe it's matchups. I don't know what it is, but it feels now over the course of enough seasons and it feels like a big enough sample size that it's worth noting. Doc Holliday, 6-0 and in bowl games. So, yeah, it's UCF big favorite. Maybe UCF still wins, but... If I'm spending my hard-earned cash at the sports book, I'm putting money on Marshall because I think at the very least they can cover this, if not pull off an upset. Yeah, I mean there's 17 points. They're they're definitely keeping this one within 17. Doc Holiday is, like you said, as good as they come when it comes to prepping his teams for bowl games. Uh, finally, uh, another team like the aforementioned uh, FAU squad that will be playing in their home stadium is the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors taking on BYU in the, there in Aloha Stadium uh, in the SoFi Hawaii Bowl. Uh, Josh, Hawaii, uh, we were talking about this before the show, has already played 14 games this season because of their wacky schedule. They have uh, amassed quite a deal, uh, quite, quite a large amount of frequent flyer miles, um, which is almost the same amount as uh, air yards that Cole McDonald has <laughs> throwing the ball. Uh, they are wide open. They made it to the conference title game, which is a win in and of itself uh, in, in that conference. Uh, the Mountain West obviously being one of uh, probably the second strongest of the group of five there. And with their travel schedule, it's been a long time since Hawaii was this relevant. Yeah. I mean, maybe back some of those June Jones teams um, really not much since then. Um, but tell you what you have to like, if you're a Hawaii fan, uh, first of all, this game's early enough in the day, local time that, you know, go and have a fun Christmas Eve. <laughs> go w watch this game, then do your presents because this Hawaii team is really fun to watch. You get a good X's and O matchup in that BYU, their strength is on the defensive side of the ball. It's certainly not running the ball. They're one of the worst teams rushing the ball in the country. But um, the fun thing about Hawaii and why I'm encouraging people to go to this game, they're really good at home. 
They beat Arizona. They beat Oregon State. They beat Central Arkansas. They beat San Jose State. They beat San Diego State. And they beat Army. They only lost one home game all year, and it was to a 10-win Air Force team. So they're doing well at the home circuit. BYU on the road, well, one at Tennessee, okay. But then they had their midseason swoon. Lost at Toledo, lost at Central Florida. Picked it back up in the second half, beat Utah State on the road, beat Massachusetts on the road, but then lost to San Diego State. So BYU, their defense is going to need to shine. They're going to need to do whatever they did earlier in the year to win in Knoxville because their second half of the season certainly not as impressive outside of that Boise State team. But this Hawaii team, Matt, you mentioned it. Cole McDonald, hell of a quarterback. They are a hell of a team at home. They got to the title game. If they win this, they get to 10 wins. Please, 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 Hawaii Rainbow Nation, show out for this one because I've seen this bowl game. I watch it every year on TV because it's the only – game on the 24th and my dad my brother and I are absolutely ridiculous who cares that it's a holiday let's watch some football um I've seen this game before with about 20 people in the fan in the stands so uh, come on Hawaii well I for Get one will be watching the game in the garage at my <laughs> in-laws with my father-in-law and my wife's two uncles while we smoke cigars away from the rest of the family. Mm. So I'll be very happy while I'm, <laughs> while I'm watching this game. Uh, there'll be some offense on Hawaii's part. Um, I'm obviously I'll, I'll be out and out rooting for Hawaii. BYU is the betting favorite here. Um, but I, I, I feel pretty confident that Hawaii's going to win this one. Um, I love, you know, I just, it, it's in a great season for them. And I feel like they want to get to that, you know, get to those double digits. And- yeah. And I mean, Rolovich is building something there. And as you're building your foundation and then as a program and then building your structure on it, there's certain milestones. And one of the milestones is, you know, breaking through, having a winning season. One of them is winning your division. One of them is winning double-digit games. One of them is winning a bolt. Well, they can check off they can check off a, a lot, lot of, of those things this year. And so this would be the capstone of a solid season. So yeah, come on, yeah. Hawaii. We're pulling for you. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely be pulling. Not that for we you. dislike BYU, not that we dislike Ke- Tani Shadaki. No, 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 nothing, nothing wrong with no. uh, Kalani Sataki. Um, no. I, I, I prefer I Lavelle have- Edwards. Well, I mean, I, I would imagine that uh, a lot of the... So did BYU fans. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so did all of the Detmers. But um, I, I was going to make a, a joke about pasty Mormons embezzling $100, million, $100 billion from the American government. But um, I'll, I'll pass on that for right now. <laughs> and... I, think you just, I think you still made your comment. <laughs> I was going to go. I was going to go a lot very more, passive-aggressive way. I was going to go a lot more in depth in the ways that the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints has uh, decided to hide oh a hundred billion dollars in hey, revenue. Matt, Matt, let's what? be fair. Let's be fair. We are equal opportunity haters. We are. All churches should be taxed. Yes. 
not just the Latter-day Saints. No. All of them. Um, if we have a separation of church and state in this country, all churches need to operate like anything else. And when you see these whistleblower uh, articles that are disseminated showing um, that groups like this are just uh all right let's get okay, to the coaching okay. yeah carousel. so anyways uh that's the I'm music gonna, i'm gonna save you from yeah, thank uh, you josh i'm sorry i'm gonna go down I'm, I'm gonna go down a rabbit hole that i don't need to go down anyhow um, well i've been looking i've been looking at our numbers and our numbers in provo are sky high and in fact we are the third most listened to podcast in the state of utah so that's why we need to move on <laughs> okay wow i didn't know uh mormons love us we love you too utah it's a beautiful state uh zion <laughs> national park one of my favorite places on the face of the earth um they I don't need the, i love the fact that it's a nice perfect square with a little hat on top hey why not um uh they don't need a new coach there have been some schools, though, that, however, that have obtained new head coaches since we last spoke, um, most of which are promoting from within. So, Josh, uh, of, of we have a couple internal promotions. Uh, we talked about Appalachian State. Eli Drinkwitz uh, headed out after one season to Missouri. He's being replaced by Sean Clark, who is the current offensive line coach. Uh, at App State, yeah. another. Yeah, I think we op- talked about that one last time, but in case another, you op- it, yeah. Well, coach. hold on before you get there. Another <laughs> offensive line coach that has been promoted to head coach Ooh. is Ryan Silverfield at Memphis. Interesting yeah. that we have two guys who are just skipping straight over the coordinator ranks and getting you know um, getting immediately bumped from position coach to head coach at these schools. Sean Clark, not as surprising. I mean, he went there. Right. He's been in that system forever. Silverfield, uh, he's only been at Memphis since 2016, but he seems to have a pretty good rapport there. So I don't, I don't, I don't have, I don't know a ton about Silver Silverfield, quite frankly. Well, I know that they made him associate head coach this year. They they obviously like that. Um, I think there's something to be said about continuity. And I mean, your offensive line coach sometimes has a lot on their plate in terms of working with the strength and conditioning staff. There's a lot of different pieces to arrange there in terms of having your tackles do their job, having their guards do their job, having the center be good at multifaceted things, getting your center prepared to call out certain blocking schemes and stuff. So in many ways, an offensive line coach kind of is a miniature version of a head coach. And sometimes coordinators also have that role, but also sometimes coordinators are just up in the booth calling plays. And maybe they don't know as much about what else is going on with the program because they're so focused in their scheme and calling the plays. So, you know, we don't have an inside look at how Mike Norvell ran his staff, but if he's having Silverfield be his associate head coach and offense was a pretty damn important thing for Memphis's success this year, it's pretty safe to say that Ryan Silverfield had a huge impact on what that offense did well. So why not go with someone who has been around for a little bit, 
knows the program. And it's Memphis. They are certainly an improving program, but, you know, unless they get like a Graham Harrell who re-signed with USC, got a nice package there, um, you know, who else are you going to get really? Like that's how they got Mike Norvell. He was an up-and-coming coordinator. So once the big up-and-coming coordinators kind of get settled down with what they're doing, then you're left with fewer options. So of their fewer options, I think Silverfield was a great pick. And I, I think he'll turn out to be pretty good. Yeah, I think he will too. Uh, but not as good as I, 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 I'm, I'm confident in Fresno state right now. I think they may have made the best hire of anyone in this go around outside of maybe South Florida. They hired Kalen DeBoer. If you're not familiar with DeBoer's work, he was a uh, he played for Sioux Falls, which is NAIA. He then was the head coach of his alma mater for five years. He won in his uh, in his five years. He went a ho hum, sixty seven and three, including mm. in 41, 49 and one in conference. Uh, won three national titles in his last four years there. Uh, the other season, he lost in the NAIA title game. He was in the offensive coordinator at Southern Illinois for four seasons, uh, offensive coordinator at Eastern Michigan for a couple seasons, at Fresno State for two years uh, under Jeff Tedford, uh, OC at Indiana this past year. And all Indiana did this year was jump, uh, jumpstart their offense, scoring six more points per game this year than they did last year. Number two in uh, Big Ten in total offense this year. This is a home run hire, as far as I'm concerned. It, it, you want to talk about hot coordinators. This guy is about as hot as they come. He's a little bit older than your typical hot coordinators. Uh, so hot, in fact, so uh, that no one even knows his real name, his real age. He was born sometime in 1973 or 1974 in South Dakota. At least that's all that Wikipedia knows about him. <laughs> well, you know, records are optional in the Dakotas. Yeah, it's a home run hire. He has links to Fresno, so there's the potential that he stays there for longer than what you might expect with such an up-and-comer. Um Really, the only thing I have to add is I'm almost wondering if this is why Tedford <laughs> resigned. It was like, oh, man, we're going to lose out on this perfect heir apparent. I've done everything I could do in this sport. I'm ready to hang him up. <laughs> why well, just keep lingering? I yeah. Mean, maybe he likes it. You know, he's from, he's from the state of South Dakota. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe he likes the Central Valley of California. Who knows? I've often said that Fresno is the South Dakota of California. Oh, 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 oh I thought you were going to say Fresno is the Sioux Falls of California. <laughs> that too. But uh, how about your your newly adopted team? The rivalry's done. You've buried the hatchet. You are ready to attend BC football camp again. You're excited. I am. <laughs> uh, Jeff Halfley. I, I, you know, that's the guy that I predicted they would get, and it's the guy they got. I can't say I'm that surprised. He's a darn good fit. He's a darn good coach. 
and you know he is you know someone who's still pretty young at only 40 years old he's had a lot of experience college level and pro level and you know it, it's an uphill battle in the ACC even you know uh you know obviously with Clemson there you're always going to be at you're 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 already starting two pegs down it's not exactly like Boston is a hotbed for producing high caliber college football talent but you're still in the ACC uh you know you can you can win there you can win at Boston College uh they're going to need to improve their facilities a lot it's you know th- their stadium is pretty pretty dreadful um you know it, it, and if you're a crew even if you're just looking at other ACC schools like you know you know it's, it's not even as nice as someone like Wake Forest so you know the, if, if they invest in the facilities and you know in you know they have a a good fan base in the Northeast they're you know the Northeast Catholic fan base for those who are not Notre Dame fans are all Boston College fans and so you know, you, you can get turnout there, but you, they have to invest a little bit more as an entire athletic department if they really want to get that program to where they feel like it should be. Yeah, the one thing that I'm curious about is um, reading about their coaching search, <clears throat> AD for Boston College, um, Martin Jorman, he's got a lot of links to Ohio State. So you were one of many people, Matt, thinking that someone from that Ohio State staff was going to be plucked. And uh, Jeff Halfley's name popped up a lot. He did some good work there as a defensive coordinator. What I am curious about, and I never saw anything ever, there's no smoke to this, there's no fire, there's no rumor. It's just pure me curious about something. With the AD having all those ties to Ohio State and knowing a lot about what Ohio State football is all about, was Luke Fickle in consideration at all? And that leads to the natural segue. If he was involved, did he not want this job for all those challenges you just laid out? That's the one I I'm imagine about. that Luke Fickle can basically have not quite have the pick of the litter but can have most jobs that come open. He is a top candidate for, and I feel like he's got a pretty good thing going there at Cincinnati. He can build, he can create, turn that into a regional powerhouse. There was a lot of talent in that area. There was a lot of talent in Southern Ohio, Northern Kentucky. Like that is a hotbed of talent. And even the guys that, you know, go to even the leftovers from Ohio state, Kentucky, um you know there's a lot of schools that, i mean like wisconsin's backup quarterback that uh is, you know chase wolf is from there um and he was a backup in high school to um penn state's current starting quarterback like there is like from that san xavier high school in cincinnati which is a national power there's a lot of really good football that happens in that area you can create cincinnati has always been a i don't want to say a sleeping giant but at least a sleeping um you know larger than normal human being <laughs> like you know you know they they may not they may not be like a, a they may not be you know uh i don't know some sort of like uh 
it's not like we're like it's not like Nick Saban waking up Alabama, but we are. That is a place that could be a you know a a team that is on par with you know the middle class, if not better, of Power Five schools. Yeah, I mean, I think that they could easily be the Central Florida of the North or or the Boise State of the East. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I really do think that with all of his history in the Midwest and the Big Ten, regardless of my conspiracy theory about BC reaching out to him, in my heart of hearts, I think he's waiting for a Big Ten job. And really, you look at those two Michigan schools, Harbaugh's name is always going to be tossed in with the NFL. And um, Mike D'Antonio is reaching the end in terms of on-field production dwindling, the off-the-field issues mounting, and he's also not a spring chicken anymore. He's after 65. You know what I think? Yeah. Fickle to Notre Dame. That's the other one. And yeah, Notre Dame geographically part of the Big Mm -hmm. Ten area, um, obviously not a Big Ten school because of, uh, well, history. Maybe we'll talk about that in the offseason. Well, I I certainly hope we will. Um, There's about a million and one reasons the Big Ten and Notre Dame just, it never happened. uh, A lot of it has to do with ego. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so, a lot of it also has to do with uh, fielding Yost of all people. Uh, <laughs> one other, one other, one other hire I alluded to: uh, New Mexico hired Danny Gonzalez um, from San Diego State. He's their defensive coordinator. We know how good San Diego State's defense is; they're fifth in the nation total defense every year. It seems like you know those. Uh, it, it, it seems like you know they are just you know another uh, it's you know no matter what no one's scoring on them 12.8 points per game against this year i mean they're they're fantastic and so you know new mexico needs needs to do something different because the last couple of seasons uh, under bob davey have been uh, not the greatest they've won two conference games in the past three seasons josh yeah and I'll tell you what is intriguing. I'm smelling, if you can't smell that. Uh, I'm smelling San Diego State is going to be getting their future head coach in a few seasons. Danny Gonzalez has been with that SDSU team. He's learned how to run a program from Rocky Long. Rocky Long is also a defensive coach. He's learned a lot about defense. Rocky Long is 69 years old he's not going to be doing this for that much longer barring him just wanting to (laughs) somehow be like joe paterno 2.0 in terms of staying on the sideline deep into his 70s that's where this connection comes in rocky long's job before taking the san diego state job was this very new mexico program the the links are too crazy for the record rocky long was pretty good at new mexico 65 and 69 40 and 34 took them to five bowl games that is pretty impressive that's pretty good for lobo 
Yeah. So um, Lobos, enjoy Danny Gonzalez while you have him. If he works out there, he's going to be getting a bigger job. If he's even 500 there and shows that he is a competent coach, don't be surprised if he is number one, two, and three on SDSU's list when Rocky Long eventually hangs them up with a well-deserved retirement. By the way, Rocky Long, do you have any idea what his record is at San Diego State? I'll give you a hint. He's, uh, hold on, he's hold coached. On. Give me the total, total amount of games he's coached. That's what I was just about to give you. Yeah. He's coached 118 games there. 94 and 24. That's not bad. 80 and 38. Okay. 31 games above 500 in the conference. That's extraordinarily impressive. Yeah. So, yeah, enjoy him, good people of Albuquerque, because I think Danny Gonzalez, if it pans out, he could be going places. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, speaking of going places, I got one That's to us. go to, uh, <laughs> huh? and it's my bed. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, on that note, uh, the coach did not get a chance to join us tonight, but he will be back with us here uh, later on this week. To uh, he, he did not. He He texted me saying that, you know, He's read Goodnight Moon eight times. Yep. And it's just not happening. And it, it's a good parenting tip. This is why you don't give kids a mocha latte frappuccino after 9.30. It's just not smart. It's bad parenting. And we, Matt, you and I have told Coach countless times, don't give kids coffee. And he just can't help himself. He's, he's playing with fire and it bit him tonight. It did. It did. We love you, Coach. Um, so on, on, on that note, on behalf of our own offensive coordinator here in the Music City, Corey Burton, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and counting up there in the Windy City, Josh Cook, celebrating Festivus on the 23rd with the rest of us, this is the professor in Nashville saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Coach is in here to do some weird send off. I don't know what to do. I'm a coach of the year, and USC didn't want me because I talk funny and they're really stupid because they had a Lynn Swan as their athletic director for a while. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion and check out our Facebook page. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.